it's nice to get all these good news. Well, they're not all good, but this one here, I don't know where he's from, but he says, my name is Bill. Let me start off by saying, I love your articles. I struggle from scrupulous OCD. I don't know what OCD is. What? Obsessive Well, I try to teach the college kids to do that. Repetition is theological mucilage. Anyway, it says, I'm in constant fear of losing salvation or proving it. It's called the doubting disease, and it's something I cannot help. Anyway, I truly trust that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. I believe His sacrifice was for me. I believe He is risen. I believe it. However, I have a little works. I still have a carnal nature most times. Okay, so they haven't been to FBC yet. I still have a carnal nature most times. Sometimes I resist, but at times I do give in. I'm in my early 20s and suspect that I may grow some of this out. I want to rest in His grace. I know my need for it. I sin daily, even willfully. But everyone does, right? I know he does not permit sin, and I will be punished, but not by hell fire, right? <laughs> Some verses scare me. First John scares me. Jude scares me. And other miscellaneous verses. Okay. I didn't know there were any miscellaneous verses, but, you know. It says, miscellaneous verses, they scare me. And let me see where we are here. I am secure in Christ as long as I believe in His work done for me, despite what my life may reveal. Correct? Sounds confident. And yet there's a question after each one of them. I believe in Him because I know I have no leg to stand on. I'm not too prideful to say I'm a sinful man. And I'll never be too prideful to say that I don't need His grace. If my faith is in Him, I am secure. Regardless of external works, correct? I need this scrupulous OCD to be put to rest. It is destroying me. Thank you for your time. I read your articles and watch you on YouTube, your YouTube sermons for assurance. I stray away from the walk and come back. Sometimes I feel guilty and sometimes I do not. <laughs> I'm only a person. I just need to know that my trust is in His perfect work is enough to secure me in Christ. I know my faith is genuine because I am too sinful to make it on my own. <laughs> Let me read that again. <laughs> I know my faith is genuine because I am too sinful to make it on my own merit. So um, you can sense that somebody is learning and listening and growing, but maybe still haven't put all the, the pieces together. And there's a few little things that causes them to question and doubt sometimes. I was like that for a long time. But anyway, uh, I'll just tell you the name is just Bill. And just pray for Bill. Just pray for Bill. Because when they do have a hunger and they want to know, and you never know what message that they listen to. And hopefully they will get a hold of some of the, the good ones on Christian growth also. Uh, this is another one that I got. It says, Dear Mr. Arnold, I love you, brother, but, and you know, whenever they say that, and then they have that, 
you know, here it comes. I love you, brother, but your doctrine of once saved, always saved is absolutely not biblical. Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, 38 through 39. For if we sin willfully after that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire, which shall devour the adversary. There are many other verses, brother. Ezekiel 18, 24, 2 Peter 2, 20, Exodus 32 and Revelation 3, 5. You are leading our brothers and sisters to be lost. They're brothers and sisters, but I'm leading them to be lost. And I know that this is not your intention. Love you, brother, in Christ, from a guy named Don. So, um, I love you, brother, but your doctrine is wrong. Well, don't tell me, tell God. That's where I got it. I believe the Bible teaches that once you're saved, you are Always saved. Now, let's just have a, a little brief review in a short period of time. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians and chapter 11. As we've said before, and try to put a couple of these things kind of neatly packaged. The Bible says that he wants to present us as a chaste virgin to the Lord. In other words, we would love to see all of God's children strong in the Lord and not swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. So we're always concerned about God's people studying the Word of God. We're concerned about who you listen to. Sometimes people call me up and say, Yankee, I was listening to Joel Olstein, And I, why are you listening to him? And another one told me just last week, I had to stay home, and I didn't have, I couldn't get to church, and blah, 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 blah. But I, I listened to John Hagee. Listen. They said, oh, but he is so good. Man, Yankee, oh, you ought to hear him, Yankee. No, Yankee doesn't need to hear him, and no, I don't want to hear him. And I think, I haven't got it clear yet across yet. So I keep working at this. Just because a guy can put it all together and make it sound good doesn't mean the message is right. There's a little arsenic in there. And I'm always concerned about somebody getting some arsenic because it can kill you. And so I'm talking about this, what they call spiritual truths is nothing but arsenic. It's man infusion into the word of God and it leads astray. But here he says, in verse 3, but I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. In verse 4, he says, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted at that point. You might well bear with, you might listen to them. So I'm afraid of you listening to things that are not true. And the reason he says that's because down in verse 13, he says, for Satan has his own ministers out and his ministers will teach man's righteousness. And you have to look at your righteousness to be saved and to stay saved. So man's Righteousness is always inserted into the free gospel. Oh, it's free, but, and then they add man's works to it. 
And so that is not from God. That is from the devil. The devil teaches that. Either you're trusting Christ to take you to heaven or you're trusting in your works. But you can't trust both. You can't help him save you. That's why you don't look at your life to try to decide, am I really saved? No, you don't. You look, what did the book say? He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's all you need to know that you're saved and have eternal life. That's all he said do to have eternal life. As a child of God, you may grow and you may not grow. You may be strong and you may be weak. And if you look at your life, you could doubt your salvation, but that doesn't prove you're saved. God knoweth them that are His. God knoweth them that have trusted Him as Savior. And I said this before. One year, Hank Lindstrom was, well, we was down at FBC together, and he was taking a couple classes, and I was taking a load. And um, he was going to have a meeting up in Belle Glades, Florida, migrant camp. And he needed a few... Uh, you know, little coolies to go with them so that we could do all the, the work and carry things. You know. So we went, and I volunteered to go. And it was right at the base of um, Lake Okeechobee. So we drove all the way up there, and we got there in the afternoon, and there's this little old church out there, and, and that's where we're supposed to go and get some people to come to church that night, and Hank was going to talk to him. So when we um, got there, and everybody was doing different things, and I was supposed to go down this road, and somebody else would go down that road, and so on. So I started down this little dirt road. It was hot. Oh, was it hot. It was hot and dry, and I was so thirsty. And here come two little girls walking down the road. And they was walking up to me, and they were just as happy as can be. And when they got closer, I thought, ah, two victims. So I was going to talk to those two little girls. But I wasn't clear yet. So when they got close enough, I says, uh, can I ask you a question? They said, uh -huh. I says, uh, are you going to heaven when you die? I says, I don't know. And the other one kind of giggled. I says, would you like to go to heaven when you die? Yeah. Uh -huh. I says, would you ask Jesus to come into your heart? Yeah. I said, go ahead. I didn't know what it was. I said, go ahead. I mean, that's what I heard you're supposed to do. Go ahead. <laughs> I hadn't had full courses of PE yet. <laughs> so they bowed their head, and they went, mm, they did something. And then they got through, and they amen. So if they knew a little bit to say amen, that means you're through. And uh, I says, um, did you ask him? They said, huh? They giggled. I said, did he come in? And one of the girls, she said, uh-huh. I said, how do you know? I was curious. How do you know? She says, I feel it right here. And I thought, Yankee, you done messed up somewhere. I never felt it right here. And she feels it right here. And I thought, this isn't good. I said, you need to come to the meeting tonight. <laughs> you need to come hear Hank. <laughs> so they came to hear Hank that night and a whole bunch of people. And so there was a lot of people that came in. And uh, there was a few songs that they sung. And Hank got up there and he gives the gospel like he always does. After it was all over with, it was nighttime now. I mean, really dark. And so we started to go outside. And when we went outside, there was this here black boy. And he was standing there. And I was going out the door, but he was standing there. And his name was Willie James. Willie James. His eyes were white, and his teeth looked like a row of corn. 
and he had a biggest smile on his face. And so Hank walked out the door, and I walked out with him, and he just walked a little bit further and started talking to Willie James. And Willie said, well, what is your name? He said, Willie. He said, Willie what? Willie, Willie James. He said, Willie James, did you listen to what I said? Yes, sir. He said, you have eternal life? I don't know. So he opened up the Bible to John 6, 47, and he read it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He says, you believe that? He said, I believe that. He said, you believe that? He said, I believe that. He said, you have eternal life? I don't know. <laughs> and he says, if you believe it, you have it. See, if you believe it, and you trust Christ as your Savior, if you believe it, if I, right there, if I, Willie James, if I, Willie James, Believe on him. That means you believe on Christ. Trust Christ as your Savior. Believe him. He paid for your sins. And Hank explained it to him. He says, hath everlasting life. He says, you believe that? And he said, yes, I, I believe that. He said, you have eternal life? He said, I don't know. <laughs> so he went over it again and again. He couldn't get Willie James to see it. But somebody else came up and wanted to talk to Hank. And so Hank uh, gave him his Bible. He said, here, Willie James, hold my Bible. He said, now you look at that verse and say it out loud to yourself. So I'm standing there, I'm watching Willie James and the expert at work, you know. That's how we learn. We learn from watching somebody. And so he got the Bible and he says, if I, and he looked at me, <laughs> he said, if I, me, Willie James, I'm Willie James, if I, Willie James, believe on Christ, if I believe that he died and paid for my sin, if I, me, Willie James, if I believe that, He said, man, and he got Hank's attention. Hank turned around. He says, you, you mean if I believe it, I have it? Hank turned around and smiled. He said, yes, Willie James. That's what I'm saying. If you believe it, you got it. He said, do you believe it? He said, I believe it. He said, do you got it? I said, I got it. He said, what do you, what do you got? He said, I got everlasting life. He said, now, Willie James, if you believe on Christ and he gives you everlasting life, he said, now, if you died five years from now, where would you go? He said, I'd go to heaven. Oh, he was proud. Got it. Hank said, what if you died a hundred years from now? He says, I'd go to heaven. He said, what about a thousand years from now? Said, I don't think I lived that long. <laughs> but he would drill that one verse into Willie James. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. One year we was at Tennessee Temple before I went to Florida Bible College. Dr. Lee Robertson, the president of that school. And it was a big school. It was a Highland Park Baptist church. And he kind of reminded me of Moses over the flock of Israel. Now how, I don't know, but I, I saw Charleston Heston one time like that. And um, but anyway, I went up there and after the church service was over with, we uh, got home. And when we got home, we walked in the house and Betty was just crying. She was boo-hooing. I says, honey, what's wrong? And she says, I'm not sure I'm saved. I said, what? And that bothered me because the man that led her to the Lord led me to the Lord. If hers didn't take, maybe mine didn't take. <laughs> now, I was messed up. I said, what, what are you talking about? She says, because of what the preacher said tonight. I said, well, what did he say? I was there. I didn't hear it. So you can see, you can have two people sit in the same service, and one person can hear something, and another person not hear it. Y'all do that all the time, don't you? So she came, and she, I said, well, what did he say? She says, he says that some people are going to miss heaven by nine inches. Okay. That's getting pretty close. I think if you get 
within nine inches of the place, just reach out your hand, grab a hold of the gate, and pull yourself on in. <laughs> close. How close are you going to get? I said, what are you talking about? She says, he says, some people believe it in their head, but they don't believe it in their heart. And so some people are going to miss it by nine inches. And she just broke down and sobbed. And I didn't know what in the world to do. This is my wife. We come to go to Bible school. We're going to go tell the world how to go to heaven. And here's my wife, and she's not sure. And the guy that led her to the Lord led me to the Lord. It caused no small stir. And she cried. And I said, honey, if you weren't sure then. She said, Yankee, I believe it. But I don't know if my heart believes. Because they said, you've got to believe it in your heart. I don't know what my heart believes or not. She said, I believe it. You see how damaging that can be to tell somebody? Well, you can't just believe it in your head. You've got to believe it in your heart. Oh, la da How do you separate the two? Either you believe or you don't believe. I believe it. Yeah, but was that with your head or your heart? I know it sounds good to say to a woman, I love you with all of my heart. <laughs> but what you mean is I love you with all of my mind. But that doesn't sound very romantic, does it? <laughs> I love you with all of my mind. My toe. <laughs> my ear. My nose. <laughs> sometimes we wonder, how can we be so confusing? But we don't even know it sometimes. No more than I did that day with those two little girls on the road. What I said, I meant sincerely, but I was just so messed up as not clear. I wasn't clear. Sincere, yes. Love the Lord, yes, I love the Lord. Want the little girls to go to heaven, yes. There's a lot of preachers out there preaching every Sunday with that same intensity same compassion, same love and concern, but they don't even know they're not making it clear. They aren't even aware. They don't know there's a better way to do something. And so I said, honey, I said, if you weren't, let's do it now. So we got on our knees and we prayed and she went through that so-called the, the sinner's prayer. You ever heard of the sinner's prayer? All you're saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. Believe it or not, that's what I said the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Did anybody else in here ever do it that way? Not a, just one person over there? Because, see, that's what some people, you know, accept. That's what we did. But we're just as honest and sincere. Yes, I'm going to just trust Christ as my Savior. And that little prayer sometimes, it just kind of seals it in your mind that, all I'm doing, I'm just telling God, Lord, I believe that. When he says, believe it, when you pray, it's just, you're telling God, I believe it. Lord, I believe that. When we have prayer here, and say so with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you will trust Christ right now as your Savior, would you let me know? Just say something simple like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on that cross and paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust you right now as my Savior. Just something so simple. Can a person get saved just by talking to God and saying, Lord, I believe that. I believe you did that for me. And you see, I often say, you know, it's not the prayer that saves you, but it is telling God, I believe it. Because when you say, I believe that, well, who are you saying it to? Somebody needs to know that. It's God that knows when you believe and you don't believe. And God says, I know them that believe on me. 
and trust me, and they have eternal life. So yes, I had a wonderful time explaining some of that to my kids later on, and Trina trusts the Lord, and David, and Eddie, and a whole bunch of relatives. But I, I went to Bible school, and it helped me to clear up my message. That's why I guess I am so thankful for the ministry of Florida Bible College and for a, a man, Ray Stanford. He might not have been the greatest guy in the world, but, buddy, he helped me to understand the greatest truths in the world. Something that was, you know, it's, it's, it's life-changing because it's destiny-changing. When people can really understand and be able to explain to somebody, I know I'm going to heaven, and here's how I know. Here's why. And to be able to explain that. Take your Bible and turn real quick to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Over there in the book of Jonah. In Jonah in chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, a lot of times you'll hear preachers make this statement, but sometimes they're not aware of what they're saying, and then there are some that do. You see, when a, they use the word repent, a lot of times in their mind, the word repent means to turn from your sins. If a man's a drunkard, you've got to stop drinking. If you're on drugs, you've got to stop drugs. Running around with the women, you've got to stop that. Smoking, you got to stop smoking. Cussing, you got to stop cussing. Going to movies, you got to stop going to movies. Playing cards, you got to stop that. Playing a ball on Sunday, you got to stop that. You'd be surprised. I mean, there used to be all kinds of stuff. Christian, you just don't do that. You do that, you're going to go to hell. So you have to be willing to quit all of your sins. But it's not just a matter of what you quit, it's also what you got to start doing. Now, you got to start going to church and you got to start reading your Bible, got to start. So you've got to get a person, if they, you want to get saved, you want to go to heaven, but you have to be willing to give up this and willing to do this. And if you're not willing to do those things, well, then you're not ready to be saved. That's not true. That's not the gospel. But it confuses a lot of people because when you tell a man you have to turn from your sins, Think for a moment, if you were the lost man, even as a Christian, if you're a lost man and the preacher told you you had to turn from your sins to be saved, what do you think that means? How does it resonate in your mind? What is he telling you that you have to do? You have to repent, turn from your sins in order to be saved. What do you think it means? And if you think it means I have to stop being bad, because isn't that what it would mean? I got to stop. So when would God save you? When you decided to turn? Or would it be after you turned? Or in the midst of the turn? Do you turn all of a sudden? Or is it progressive? Or when do you really get saved then? When you decided to really mean business? Or when you actually did mean business and you quit them? So did God save you here? Or here or here. Or you have to wait till you die to find out if you really turn from all of your sins. So that's why some people say, well, you have to wait till you die to find out if you're going to make it. So most people, you ask them, where are you going to die? Well, I'm, I hope I'm going to heaven. Or as some have told me, I'm going to hell if I don't change. And they don't really know for sure. How many of you in here know positively that if you died today, you would go to heaven? Let me see your hand. All right. Put your hand down. 
most people, if you go to a church that teaches salvation totally, truly, by grace, can know they're going to heaven. But if you teach that you have to turn from your sin to be saved or make Christ the Lord and the Master, you can't really be sure you've done it or will do it, will perform. So you have reasons to question your salvation because your salvation depends upon you and not the Lord. And this is why it is so important. Look here in Jonah in chapter 3. And notice what he says here in verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their, and you ought to underline this one word, saw their works. God saw their works. Now God was going to destroy Nineveh because they were wicked. Jonah didn't want to go to him because he was Jewish. These were Gentiles. And you know, a good Jew doesn't want a Gentile to go to heaven or to be saved. He don't mind if they get destroyed. But God has compassion. And Jonah didn't want to go, but he went anyway. And he preached what God told him to. And it says in verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them. So when it says here in this verse, God saw their works. Remember, repentance is works when it tells you to turn from sin. So turning from sin is works for salvation. True? So if you're going to have to turn from your sins... This is what they did, and it's works. It's not grace. So whenever you are saved, God wants us to, in a sense, not do the thing that we were doing before and trusting in our dead works. 